This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. I do hope the government reads the report from the industry committee and seeks to mitigate the damage to Canadian copyright law that comes from the USMCA. Now, why is extending the term not the right move? Well, because if Canada extends our general term by 20 years, that will create a 20-year black hole in which no works will enter the public domain. For two decades, no work will become open for Canadians to access it in any format they wish without the permission of the rights holder. This will cast a chill on a large amount of innovation and creativity in our country. Many Canadians started the new year with an unwelcome surprise as they learned that Canada had extended the term of copyright by an additional 20 years with no mitigation measures or efforts to limit the harmful effects of the policy. That the extension did not get much attention was seemingly by design, as the government buried it in a budget implementation bill and posted no news releases on it. In other words, this wasn't a policy the government was anxious to promote. Mark Swartz is a scholarly publishing librarian at Queen's University and has been an active participant in copyright reform for many years. He recently published an op-ed in the Toronto Star and Hill Times, identifying both the harms of term extension and potential mitigation measures. He joins me on the podcast to talk about Canada's approach to copyright term extension, the impact on the public domain, and what could come next. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. You know, over the past month, it seems that no shortage of Canadians have been taken by surprise by the copyright term extension that took effect at the end of last year. You know, I, I know you knew about it. I knew about it. And certainly some of the people listening to this podcast knew about it. But for many, they didn't. And I suppose that shouldn't come as much as a surprise since the government, which spends a lot of time communicating and trumpeting different kinds of uh, legislation, other sorts of activities, did very little to promote this. And so I'd like to use this podcast to make sure that those that weren't aware or have been now taken by surprise understand what's taken place and, and what could happen next. So why don't we try to unpack at least four things, what happened, why, what it means, and then what, if anything, can be done. Why don't we start with what's happened? You know, if we could have a copyright term 101. Uh, what was the term of copyright? What is it now? Sure. Um, so the general rule for the term of copyright or the length of copyright protection that individuals get in a work that they've created was 50 years after the death of the creator until just a few weeks ago. Um, there are specific examples of terms that are different, depending on the type and the author of the work in question, but 50 years after the death is the most common rule. And this has been the international standard for most of the 20th century. Uh, it was added to the Berne Convention in 1908, and the Berne Convention is the international treaty that sets the basic principles and minimum standards of copyright protection around most of the world. But on December 30th in Canada of this past year, the term was extended by 20 more years so that our new general term of protection is now 70 years after the death of the creator. And this means that nothing new will enter the public domain in Canada until 2043, essentially. 2043. So 
that's obviously an entire generation quite quite literally so you're saying just for those that you know as i say that 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 aren't familiar with these issues once copyright term expires it and works enter into the public domain what does that what does that mean you know what can people do with works that are in the public domain and and what will they uh, be limited in now so Essentially, the public domain is the collective body of creative works for which intellectual property restrictions, including copyright, do not apply. So works can enter the public domain in many ways. They could not qualify for, for protection to begin with. So facts and ideas, for example, don't qualify for protection, so they're automatically in the public domain. Um, they could be dedicated to the public domain by the creators of the work or by a government. So one example of this is that the government created works in the United States. Um, most of them are automatically placed into the public domain. And then another way that they can enter the public domain and the way that we'll focus on today is when their term of copyright expires. So works that are in the public domain are owned by the public and can be used for any purpose by anyone. And I wrote a recent opinion piece that was in the Toronto Star and in the Hill Times. And I put a couple of examples of how public domain work could be used uh, in that piece. Uh, so the examples that I used is like an author could take uh, public domain work like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and write a new novel using her characters. Or a director could put on a modernized version of Shakespeare's Hamlet. Or an artist could create their own version of Vincent van Gogh's Sunflowers using copied portions of the original painting. And all of this is possible without restriction and without permission from the estate of the author. And just to add another example, one of the most common examples that's being used these days to you to demonstrate the impact of the public domain is that it makes movies like the recent Winnie the Pooh movie, um, Blood and Honey, possible. And Blood and Honey was a horror movie based on and using the well-loved A.A. Milne characters. And however you feel about seeing Pooh and Piglet in a horror movie, uh, this type of example does demonstrate that the public domain enables creativity that would otherwise be impossible if you had to go ask an author like A.A. Milne or his estate permission every time you wanted to do something like this. Okay, so there's clear real value to the public domain. We do see it, new kinds of creativity emerging coming out of the public domain. So given that value, it begs the question certain at a minimum of why now you know Canada had long resisted extending the term of copyright as you mentioned the the global standard is life plus uh, of the author plus 50 years Canada was consistent compliant with the with that standard and now extends the term of copyright what changed that sparked this change in Canadian copyright so the desire to extend the term of copyright protection in Canada mostly comes from pressure from our southern neighbor, the United States. So the U.S. had their own term extension that was enacted in 1997. It was called the Sonny Bono Copyright Term Extension, or more informally, the Mickey Mouse Protection Act, which kind of shows where the pressure for this type of extension was coming from. Um, so they had their own experience with the frozen public domain, and in fact, they're celebrating while we're dealing with our own freeze, as they have since 2019, finally been having new works enter the public domain there. And the United States have been actively advocating for a longer term of copyright around the world for a long time, mostly as part of trade agreements. So 
in Canada, we've had this specter of a longer term of protection hanging over us for a very long time, as long as I've been following the law, and very much, probably very much longer than that. And recently, it was part of the controversial Trans-Pacific Partnership Trade Agreement. Um, the U.S. withdrew from that agreement in 2017, taking the term extension parts with them, allowing Canada to dodge this extension for a few years. Um, but it returned when the Trump government decided to reopen the NAFTA, the North America Free Trade Agreement, and negotiate the replacement, which was um, referred to as CUSMA, or the Canadian-U.S.-Mexico Trade Agreement. So term extension was a major issue for the U.S. in negotiations, so nobody was surprised when the term extension was eventually part of the ratified agreement. Um, and But one interesting note about this whole process is that the full term extension was not part of the ratification bill for that treaty, which was Bill C-100, um, which became law in 2020. It had a couple of term extensions for things like anonymous works, performances and sound recordings, um, and sound recordings and cinematographic works, but it didn't extend that general term of protection as promised for copyrighted works. So Canada instead waited until the last possible minute um, to implement the general term extension. So it was announced over the summer in the Budget Implementation Act last summer, and it actually came into force December 30th, 2022, just a couple of weeks ago. So essentially, I guess what changed is the government could no longer avoid the pressure for the extension from the US and that Canada simply caved to US demands in order to ratify the treaty. Um, and it's, I think, kind of interesting to note that we were the only ones that were party to that treaty that had to change our law. Um, Mexico already had a longer copyright term. And I, I think they actually have the longest copyright term in the world at 100 years after death, the longest general copyright term in the world. Right. So this is driven by trade pressures. They've been longstanding, as you suggest. I mean, it is notable. And you're right, I think, to highlight the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP, or now the CPTPP, um, in which not just Canada, but several other countries within that TPP who were at the international standard of life plus 50 were you know agreed or caved on the issue back when the US was in the agreement and then were able to walk away from those particular uh, obligations under the agreement once the US walked away but as, as you suggest that was only for a short period of time now we've obviously had some amount of time to think about this implementation because the the agreement on the USMCA or on Kuzma took place several years ago. And so the government did launch a consultation on this issue. In fact, the Copyright Review even looked at this issue, I recall, and um, promoted the idea of a registration requirement for the extra 20 years. The consultation raised some other possibilities. Can you talk a bit about what options we had as a country in terms of meeting this new trade obligation, you know, the, there was one approach, the approach we ultimately took, which was simply to extend. What were some of the other options that Canada could have considered? Yeah. So as you mentioned, um, the government's kind of, I, I, it's presumably known that they're, they were going to extend copyright for some time. It was kind of something that, as you can see, was probably sitting on a lot of people's shoulders um, from the pressure that was, was coming out of the U.S., 
Um, and as you mentioned in the question, uh, how to mitigate some of the harm caused by the copyright term extension has been a theme in many of the reports and consultations that the government has done that relates to copyright. So um, in 2018, uh, the INDU committee conducted a copyright review and they created this really large report of recommendations um, for changes to the Copyright Act. And as you mentioned, recommendation six from the copyright committee review report um, asked the government to consider an amendment to the Copyright Act that would require that rights holders register a work with the government to take advantage of an additional 20 years of protection. Um, so in order to get those, that, that protection, that 20 years, there would be a registration process, maybe there would be a fee involved, so that there'd be like a small fee in order to ensure that people really wanted to get this stuff registered. Um, and from my perspective, and from a lot of people's perspective, and obviously yours as well, um, something like this process would make a ton of sense. It would allow those with commercially viable work to take advantage of the extra 20 years of protection, while allowing all of those works that no longer have a market to enter the public domain and be used by any purpose and be accessible to many people that would not have access otherwise. So why would this work? Um, well, there is a ton of literature demonstrating that a longer public domain does not equal more investment in works with low commercial demand. Um, so I, I could cite a lot of different studies here, but for example, a recent study by Jacob Flynn, Rebecca Giblin, and Francois Petitjean um, found that term extension does not result in a better availability of works that benefit from the extension. And even the shortest copyright term of 50 years after the death outlasts most works commercial value, even while the cultural value remains. So an easy to search registration process would be an ideal situation for my sector for libraries as they could search a registry and easily determine copyright status before using works. And since so few works are commercially viable in that extra 20 years, it's likely that the resulting registry would be fairly small in comparison with the number of total works entering the public domain each year leaving libraries with a massive number of works that could be digitized and made available broadly to our patrons. So that's the copyright review, but you also mentioned this consultation. So after the review, the government embarked on a series of copyright consultations. And the first one that they, they embarked on was one that was focused on mitigating harm caused by this term extension. And this was generally considered to be a positive development, particularly considering that the government didn't enact the term extension right away. So we in the library community thought that mitigating measures were coming. So the discussion paper published as part of this consultation seemed to kind of dismiss the idea of registration, which we were disappointed about. But it did include a number of other possible measures that could be taken by the government, including a few ideas that we thought were quite bad. So extending one example of a bad idea was extending the orphan works licensing regime, um, which is a process that doesn't work very well in the first place and doesn't meet the needs of libraries. And another bad idea that would create a collective licensing regime for orphan and out of commerce works. Um, and if anybody knows anything about the um, library and education sector in Canada, collective licensing hasn't been a great tool for either higher ed or libraries in Canada. 
But there were a couple of other ideas that we thought might be workable for libraries. So they were ideas including things like an exception that would allow libraries to use and digitize orphan and out of commerce works subject to some different time constraints. So for example, potentially being able to use and digitize orphan works during the extra 20 years of protection or 100 years after creation, or more generally, um, and it creating a system that allows rights holders to come forward and claim some kind of fair remuneration or payment for a use at a later date. So I was part of a group that represented libraries through the CFLA, the Canadian Federation of Library Associations, and the Canadian Association of Research Libraries that submitted a response to this consultation. And while we were preferred the registration option, um, and we are always a little bit wary of specific exceptions to copyright that may end up being too narrow to be much use when they do become law, we did think that some of the ideas had potential and could help that libraries navigate through the term extension if the government so chooses. Uh, so we considered those options carefully. We expanded on them with a bunch of other ideas that would really help mitigate. Um, so our other ideas included things like expanding fair dealing so that it's more like U.S. fair use, so that it's more flexible. Revamping the rights reversion clause, um, changing the definition of commercial availability in the act, making it clear that contracts and technical protection measures cannot override user rights, and then finally limiting liability for libraries, archives, and museums so that they can use and digitize orphan works and out of commerce works without fear of massive lawsuits. And these recommendations are easily available if you're interested. Um, and if you know, if you just look it up, anybody can find a full summary on both the Canadian Association of Research Libraries and the Canadian Federation of Library Association website if you're interested in any of our recommendations. Okay, you know, thanks for that. Well, actually, I'll put I'll put a link to to those in the show notes for for this episode of the podcast. So you've identified a whole series of options, some that you had concerns with, some that obviously you supported, some that the government didn't necessarily seem to support, but uh, MPs who had studied the issue did, and yet the government took none of them at least with respect to how this was implemented uh, late last year. I know it's speculative, but do you have any idea of why that is? Or was it just a matter that it became too controversial internally, do you think? Or there, you know, what's at play that the government identified concerns and yet ultimately really did nothing to address them? Well, I'll be honest, I'm not completely sure because it really did seem like the signaling from the government in the review and later in the consultation seemed to imply that they were going to do something, that they were serious and they were going to take some action. And it was also really positive that the full term extension wasn't included in that original ratification bill. So the library community was pretty positive that, you know, that, that these actions only make sense if they were buying time to implement some changes. But we waited and waited and nothing happened until the general term extension was enacted. Um, so, I mean, I guess they might as well just have included in the initial bill other than buying a little bit of time. But considering the effort that the government did put in, in the consultation process, I just have to hope that it was really a matter of the government running out of time and that they do plan on implementing some of the ideas the next time that they make changes to the Copyright Act rather than this process being all for nothing. So considering some of these things that have a lot of people 
um, have put a lot of work into um, during the next copyright review process instead of just forgetting it all and saying, oh, well, we just extended the term and people will have to deal with it. Okay, fair enough. Uh, there's always some hope that they may address it. I, I want to come back to, to what comes next in a moment, and you've highlighted already some of the possibilities. But I, but I, I, before getting there, I, I do want to sort of better understand what the implications of this extension are right now. Um, and your piece in the Toronto Star and the Hill Times focuses, at least in part, on the implications for digitization, which, of course, is you know on everybody's mind right now as we see such a major shift towards digitizing works for a whole series of different uses. Uh, what do you see as, as some of the implications of this extension for, for those digitization initiatives? So, I mean, I've mentioned that that period of 20 years where the public domain is frozen in Canada will have an impact on creators because they won't be able to use public domain works to create new works. But it is going to have a major impact on Canadian libraries and other cultural institutions as digitization is one of our main thrusts right now. So um, unless the law changes, we have to deal with that static public domain. And this comes at a time when library patrons really expect digital access to collections. This kind of trend began before the pandemic, but during the pandemic, it became absolutely essential for us to provide digital access. And that expectation of digital access is not going away. Digitization is crucial. It opens up our collections. It enables research projects and collaborations that would never be possible otherwise. And it allows us to fulfill kind of our access mandate to provide as broad access as possible to the, the items in our library in ways that would be difficult or impossible if we were just leaving books on the stacks in our, in our, in our library stacks. Digitization to work for in copyrighted works. Libraries have to either get permission to digitize those works, a process that is pretty much impossible due to the volume and the nature of the works that we're talking about here, or digitization has to be done using an exception to copyright protection like fair dealing. And one strategy that's in limited use in Canadian libraries, and one that you've actually discussed on your podcast before when you had, I think, Kyle Courtney on the podcast, is called controlled digital lending. Um, and controlled digital lending, or CDL, um, is, a, is a tool where libraries make one copy of a work available for any physical copy that we have in our collection. And while that digital copy is being loaned, the physical copy is removed from the library circulation. Um, so the digital copy is also locked down using digital rights management so that the patron borrowing the item has limited access for a short period of time. Now, this is important because as you can see from the description, this tool is less than ideal. It's a really poor substitute for what is possible when we can just straight up digitize and make available public domain works. It's complicated. Patrons don't like the limited access, but it is one possible tool that we can move forward with if no other mitigation, mitigating measures are taken. Obviously, we've got our fingers crossed for the mitigating measures. 
Right. Yeah. No. And it's 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 nice that you point to to CDL as as one of the alternatives to try to help facilitate some of that access. But obviously, there's a marked difference between sort of the the openness of the public domain and the freedom to use those works and the the restrictions that that are inherent in a system such as controlled digital lending. Yeah. Now it's it's been just over a month uh, as we record this since cop- since the copyright term was extended. Too early for detailed studies at this stage on the impact but perhaps not so much for anecdotal evidence on what the immediate impact has been. Do we, do we have any of any anecdotes, especially coming out of the library community, that highlight that uh, th- these have real-world impacts and those impacts are pretty instant as soon as you make a change in, in the term of copyright? So one place that we see immediate impact is on platforms like massive digital libraries like the Internet Archive. And they are users of controlled digital lending, and they're going to have to continue to use controlled digital lending to limit access to many millions of digitized books that would otherwise be able to be opened up and be made available in the public domain. And Andrea Mills, who's the director of the Internet Archive Canada, wrote a recent blog post highlighting the work of one Canadian creator, Edward A. Milcourt, um, that could have been, in his books, could have been released to the world if our term of copyright had not been extended. And now they're only available to one user at a time for 14-day loans using that controlled digital lending model. Um, So as for libraries, there are a wide variety of projects where works will be stopped or access will be limited um, to collections that should now be in the public domain or entering the public domain over coming years. So last summer we were doing a little bit of work on this and we collected a few examples from libraries. And these examples included things like an early science fiction collection, a popular air photo collection, a historical maps collection, and a collection of works documenting the history of Western Canada that included many, many photographs. And for all of these collections, the idea was that we would digitize these items as they entered the, the, the libraries would digitize these items as they enter the public domain and make them available to everyone. Um, so I just picked those ones out because I think they highlight the kind of diversity of the types of collections that could be made available to all. But this is just a tiny sample of the many, many projects that will either have to be put on hold or made available in a very limited way due to this specific extension for the next 20 years or further. Right. So so this is this this does already have real world impact, which I think for those that have followed this area won't come as a surprise, but but might to for those that, that weren't necessarily paying full attention to what copyright term was and what the impact of the extension could be. But here we are, the extension's in place, the impact is already being felt. What, if anything, might come next? I mean, you've highlighted some of the recommendations that that the government had had available to it, at least initially, uh, as it put this forward, did not uh, move forward with any of those. Is it too late to address these concerns, or do you see there still being room for reform? I mean, I am still hopeful that there will be reform. It may be too late to add something like a registration system, although I haven't totally given up hope on something like that. But in general, I'm just hopeful that the government will, at a minimum, consider some of the suggestions from the library community, um, you know, from academics that are providing feedback, and also from the Canadian public. Um, And the library sector in Canada will certainly continue to advocate for the changes, many of them that I mentioned in my kind of long-winded answer before. 
Um, and libraries will do their best to ensure that copyright is fair for users and workable for libraries because copyright is one of those really important kind of things in libraries that informs all of the other practices that we have and the access that we can provide to patrons and to the Canadian public. Okay, so there is still hope and certainly work is going to continue on these issues. Um, it's obviously sent, I think, shockwaves through, through through many communities in terms of that immediate impact and the fact the government did so little. But, you know, certainly your work and the work more broadly of the community to both raise awareness and put real solutions to mitigate against the harms, one would hope would attract the attention uh, of government and, and they'd move forward. So, Mark, thanks so much for that work and for joining me on the podcast. Thank you, Michael. It was a real pleasure. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening and see you next time.